Amen. Well, all right. Well, today is the first Sunday of the new year, and we're actually going to be uh, embarking on a new sermon series called Why Do We Blank? And basically, every single week for this month, we're going to be filling in that blank with something different. Why do we blank? Why do we do what we do is essentially what's, uh, what we want to talk about. Uh, the New Year's is a time for, for a lot of us, or maybe, you know, some of us, uh, we go into the New Year and we talk about New Year's resolutions, things that we want to stop doing, maybe things that we want to start doing or pick up again. And we talk a lot about the what, what's going to change this year. But I, I think for me, the concern is, is that so often our lives are driven by the what, and we miss out on the why. And we miss out and we forget on why we even want to do those things in the first place. There's things that we do as a church, and there's things that we uh, do, uh, and we're inviting people in our church to be part of and to do together. But I I don't want us to miss out on the why, because I I think for me, the why is what drives the what. Um, not too long ago, I was, I was in the car driving with my son Benjamin in the back seat, and you know we're from California, so whenever I see like a beautiful line of trees, uh, it just catches my eye. All right, that's what California is that we just get we get surprised when we see a tree. And and so I was driving in Chicago, and 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 this is a true story. I was driving my son in the back seat, and I just saw a beautiful line of trees just all together. And I I don't even remember what the street name was, but I just saw a line of trees that really. Uh, got my attention and my natural reaction was to have Benjamin look at the trees too and so I said Ben look at the trees and my son is is four and a half and he's in this phase of asking why like like 20 times and he'll ask why 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 and so when I said Ben look at the trees his natural response was why and normally I'm just like just look just just because I said so but this time when he said why it actually kind of it kind of made me pause and I thought that's actually a good question, right? So my son's pretty deep, right? Like that's an appropriate question to ask because if someone all of a sudden told me, hey, James, look at the trees, I would ask that same question even as an adult. The question is why would Benjamin look at the trees? And so right after he asked why, my response was because it's beautiful. And I realized in that moment that what, what I should have told Benjamin was, Benjamin, look at the trees because it's beautiful. And I, I think for me, what, what I think about, when I think about this sermon series, I think about um, we as a church, I, I wonder how many times we come into church and all we hear is the what. And we forget to tell you the why. And we say, we need to read the Bible, which is good, amen. But we need to say because it's beautiful. We need to pray, but because it's beautiful. And we should fellowship, not because we're just told to, but because fellowship is beautiful and is part of God's design. Right, so what we want to do these next few weeks is is really go through a different topic of why we do what we do in the church. And so I think uh, for us it's this, that as we kick off this new year as a church, perhaps what we need is not new things to attempt, but to remember why we ought to continue in the things that God has already given us to do. Amen? Uh, there, a couple days ago, December 30th, 2019, there was an article written by Christina Fox. It was posted on the Gospel Coalition website. And I just want to read this for you guys. Uh, it's, uh, she says, This time of year is filled with all things new. We clean out our closets and drawers to make room for the new Christmas gifts we've received. We flip the calendar on a new year and consider all the upcoming year holds. We set new goals and resolutions to make needed changes. 
As Christians, we sometimes look for the new for our spiritual lives. We look to new strategies and methods to help us grow in our faith. We look for new devotionals or books to inspire us in our growth. We may pursue blogs, listen to podcasts, attend conferences and retreats, all in the hopes of finding that one thing we haven't yet tried that will help us grow in our faith. While we're grateful for new books and can often benefit from new resources to grow in Christ-likeness, we don't need a fundamentally new approach. We need an old one. The Lord has already given us everything we need, and it's been available all along. It's the means of grace. And so she continues to say this, God works using the same ordinary means. It's how he feeds us. It's how he nourishes us. It's how we abide in him. It's how we know him. It's how we grow. And she quotes Michael Horton who writes, Through these means, he has pledged to raise us from spiritual death, to forgive sins, to assure us of God's favor, and to conform us to Christ's image. And I love that. And so today our focus will be on one of those things that we call the means of grace. It's going to be on the means of grace, which we call studying Scripture. Why do we study Scripture? Our passage for today, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, Paul is writing to a guy named Timothy who's in the city of Ephesus. He's now in pastoral ministry, and he's giving this charge, and this is what he says in verse 14. He says, Paul to Timothy is saying for you, but as for you, and I would, I would also read this as, as God speaking to us, but as for you, as for me, as for us, continue. And if you're taking notes or trying to remember certain words, this is a word that you ought to remember today, the word continue. Paul's telling Timothy, continue, meaning keep up with in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. That's what we call the Bible, the sacred text, the ancient text. And so Paul is writing to Timothy, and he has this word. He doesn't say, hey, why don't you try something new? It's a new year. You have a new ministry, right? You're now, you're now, uh, you're now kind of, you know, um, commissioned off. Uh, and so why don't you try something new? That's not what Paul says. Paul says to Timothy, continue, keep up with. And he's saying this to Timothy because Timothy had this sacred writing, this, this ancient text given to him. He's had the, the stories of God uh, imprinted on his life even when he was a child. And it wasn't because as a child he was just this like, uh, you know, theological, hungry for the Bible kind of guy. It's because Timothy, even at a young age, had, had three kind of big key influences in his life that shared the Bible with him. One of them the Bible actually talks about is his mother, Lois, who was a believer. This is actually coming from Scripture. And not only was his mother, Lois, a believer, but also his grandmother, whose name is Eunice, was a believer. And, and so you see that there's even this generational passing down of, uh, of the faith, of teaching one generation to the next, the ancient Scriptures, the ancient stories of God. So it begins with grandmother Eunice and then mother Lois and then you have Timothy now, he's a kid. And, and then you also, Timothy, as he's growing up and maturing, he has Apostle Paul in his corner who's mentoring him like a spiritual father to him. And so Paul is telling Timothy, hey, Timothy, continue in what has been poured into your life even as a child. 
So I imagine what Timothy's life was like as a kid, you know, when he's like four or five years old and he's over at grandma's house and grandma Eunice is cooking a storm for Timothy and he's, they're playing together. I imagine that that's not all that happened. I imagine that over time, Timothy started to realize that grandma Eunice is telling me stories about God. I, I imagine that Timothy, as, at a young age, were hearing stories uh, from the, the Old Testament about who God is and his character and his love and, and all of these things. And not only Timothy was, you know, listening to the words come out of her lips, but he probably saw the life that she lived, that, that, that he probably grew up thinking, man, my grandma believes in something My grandma believes and she's anchored in something. My grandma lives differently than the rest of the world. My grandma, it goes back to these scriptures called the Bible. And not only with this grandma, but with this mom, Lois. Can you imagine what that relationship was like as a mom to her son, you know, feeding him and taking care of him and bathing him and sending him to school or what, or what have you. And, but over time, I, I bet Timothy grew up in a household with especially with his mom, where he got to hear about God growing up through his grandma and also his mom. And then you have the Apostle Paul who's now also doing that for him. I mean, this passage really has spoken to me quite a bit and more in a very personal way uh, to which I started thinking about, um, like, when when should I start discipling my son, my son Benjamin? When should I start reading the Bible with him? When can I or when should I start doing this for my own son? And so 2020, this new year, that was kind of our thing is that I wanted to start, uh, I don't know if you want to call it discipleship, you know, but it, it's, it's, it started, it's begun in the Myung family where starting January the 1st, uh, I told Benjamin, get your Bible. He's got like three of them. I don't know how a four-year-old has three Bibles, but he's got three Bibles. I said, get one of your Bibles and, and starting this day, starting this year, starting January the 1st, 2020, you and I, we're going to read 20, uh, 10 minutes of the Bible every single day and one day at a time. And so he picked up this Bible, it's called the... Um, the beginner's bible 365 devotions for kids and what it does is it basically just starts in genesis chapter one and it just takes you one verse at a time and and one day at a time and and so um you know basically like he finishes genesis when he's like 18 years old i mean it's just a really slow process slow discipleship but just one verse at a time and then it's just one paragraph a description they highlight one thing that they want the kids to remember a picture for them to see you know a visual love and so you know uh, i remember day one talking about genesis chapter one and god creating and and how god had a plan for the world and then after i said benjamin what did you learn today what's the one thing that you learned and he said god has a plan I was like, oh, that's, amen, that's pretty good. I'm like, man, you trying to take my job or something, right? And that's, that's, amen to that, right? And I'm like, and then, and he got so excited because I said, Benjamin, not only are we going to read, but just to make sure that we are accountable and we keep doing this for the rest of the year, after each day of reading the Bible, you and I, we're going to sign it. It's going to be proof that we did it together. And this is actually his favorite part. He gets the pen, and I, and, uh, I, I write the date. So, so yesterday we finished uh, day uh, four, right? So today's day five of yesterday. So I wrote one four, 2020, and now I signed my name. I realized I should have wrote dad, I, but I signed it like a check. I don't know why I did that. But it's one four, 2020. I signed my name, and then uh, below, Benjamin writes his name, and he loves it. And he starts looking into other pages, and he's like skipping over to like Samson. I'm like, dude, you gotta wait. You gotta wait like 500 days for that. Like, that's like way down the road, but he's so excited to do this. And, and, and I know right now it's just a bunch of cool stories and a lot of pictures, mostly pictures, right? But the hope is this that when Benjamin is 18 years old, 
you know, which is only 14 years away, and when he's graduated high school, and he's ready to move on and leave the house, and when he goes to USC on a full scholarship, amen, <laughs> the hope is that I, I'm not going to go to Benjamin and say, hey, Benjamin, why don't you start something new called reading the Bible? What I'm going to tell Benjamin is this, Benjamin, continue, amen, continue in what daddy and mommy has taught you. And I think for Timothy, that was, that was probably his life, that Grandma Eunice and, and, and Mother Lois, probably from an early age, it probably began with just some cool stories that God created, that out of nothing, God created the heavens and the earth. But I, I imagine that as Timothy got older and older, cool stories became principles. Are you with me? And then it became insight, and then it became wisdom, and it just became sweet to him. It became life to him. It gave him direction. It became a lamp unto his feet. I imagine that's what happened for Timothy. Well, Paul is saying is this to Timothy, continue, continue in all that you have learned. You see, that's what I'm trying to do with my son, because my, my job, my assignment as a, as a father is not just to uh, provide shelter or food for my son or just to send him to school, and it's not even, discipleship is not for me as a parent to send him to children's ministry and youth ministry one day. My job is to disciple him at home first. That's where he ought to learn the Bible first. And so my job is Deuteronomy chapter 11, where it says, teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. And when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And so this is what's happening in Timothy's life to continue. See, I think the challenge for us, I would say most of us in this room, we've all at least at some point, maybe maybe today, we've all at some point read the Bible. We've all at some point started to read the Bible. You know, regardless of how far we got, I don't think our challenge is that we, to start something. I think our challenge is to continue in it. Right? You ever been there when you started something, you just have a hard time continuing? We started to read the Bible, but we just have a hard time continuing. There's um, something that D.A. Carson, he's a Bible professor, uh, he has this, um, in one of his articles, he says the challenge has been increasingly severe in recent years owing to several factors. All of us must confront the regular sins of laziness or lack of discipline, sins of the flesh and of the pride of life. But there are additional pressures. The sheer pace of life affords us many excuses for sacrificing the important on the altar of urgent. The constant sensory input from all sides is gently addictive. We become used to being entertained and diverted. It is difficult to carve out the space and silence necessary for serious and thoughtful reading of Scripture. More seriously yet, the Bible illiteracy in Western culture means that the Bible is increasingly a closed book even to many Christians. And so that's kind of where we're headed as a culture. The Bible is becoming more and more a closed book, right? And so the challenge is how do we continue in that when it's becoming more of a closed book? And so I wanted to present 2 Timothy 3 for us. Just like Paul would say to Timothy, I want to present to us that we may continue in all that we have learned. I don't know about you, but for me, like I, wasn't, I didn't just come to the Bible on my own. God used people in my life to bring the word of God to me. And for you, God probably brought the word of God to you through other people. It could have been your mom or your dad. It could have been a small group leader or a pastor from way long ago. It could have been someone even in this church. But most of us would say that we didn't come to the Bible on our own. God had brought this gift to us through other people. And what Paul is saying is, man, continue. 
Continue in what you have been given. Continue. So Paul lays out for Timothy the what? To continue in the ancient writings, the ancient text. Continue in the Holy Scriptures and the Bible. But then he goes on to say the why. So in in 2 Timothy 3, he not only says to continue, but he says this is why. Because it's able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Which is able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. So you ready for this? Here's why you and I ought to study the Scriptures. Number one, because, because watch where it leads us. Because when we read the Bible, the Bible leads us to Jesus. You guys like that? It kind of rhymes, right? The Bible leads us to Jesus. The Bible, Paul says to Timothy, continue because it is able to make you wise for salvation, reconciles you to God through faith in Christ Jesus. So the Bible's goal is not to give you information. The Bible's goal is to drive you to Jesus. The Bible helps us understand who he is and what he's done in light of who we are and what we've done. See, the written word of God drives us to the living word of God, who is Jesus himself. Do you guys see that? Do you guys see that the beauty of the written word is that it drives us to the living word. It drives us to the person of Jesus and shows us what he's like and what he's done in light of who I am and what I've done. It drives us to Jesus. And that's why if you've been, if you've been one of those that have been really, uh, you know, um, taken this seriously and just really been in your devotions, you know how much it's profited you. You know how much it's helped you to grow in your faith. And the reason for that is not because you have a special Bible, you know what I mean? It's not because you have the right translation. It's not because you have a leather cover, you know what I mean? It's not because you have more or less pictures or comments. It's not because you have notes on the bottom. The reason why you and I can ever grow when we are in the Word of God is because when we are in the written Word, we are also in the presence of the living word see when I am taking time to say God I want to go into your written word I'm actually in opening myself up my heart and my mind and my life I'm opening myself up to the awareness that God is present with me there's nothing special about these pages or this cover or this translation I mean it's a good translation but it's not what changes us so what changes us about from the written word is that it actually drives us to the living word. It's the presence of God as we're in the scriptures that actually can change us. David Mathis in a book called Habits of Grace, when he talks about all these spiritual disciplines, he says the Bible is gloriously for us, but it's not mainly about us. He says we come most deeply, he's talking about the Bible, because of whom we will see, not for what we must do. That's good. We come to the Bible mainly because of who we will see, not for what we must do. And then he quotes John Piper who says, A godly life is lived out of an astonished heart. A heart that is astonished at grace. We go to the Bible because uh, in the Bible we are astonished, amazed at God and Christ and the cross and grace and the gospel. And so we read the Bible, Paul saying, Timothy, continue in the word because the word drives you to Jesus. See, God, here's the good news. God makes himself available to us all the time. He makes himself available. 
I remember as a youth pastor, kids would come to me and say, hey, Pastor James, God, I don't think God's speaking to me. I'm like, God has spoken. And he's said a lot. And I'm still trying to keep up with what he said. Are you with me? God has spoken and God is still speaking. That's good news. That God wants to speak to his people. But not only does the Bible lead us to Jesus, but this is what Paul says to Timothy. He says in uh, 2 Timothy 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 16, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so as the Bible leads us to Jesus, in leading us to Jesus, what it does, it actually helps us and equips us to live like Jesus. The Bible, in leading us to Jesus, transforms us, guides us, uh, 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 you know, um, changes us and equips us to then actually live like Jesus. One of the questions that I asked when preparing the sermon was this, what would have happened if we didn't have scripture? See, what is it like if we don't have scripture? Where does, where does that lead us? I thought of the question, where does sin lead us and where does scripture lead us? See, what you might not have known is that Paul is encouraging Timothy, continue in the Bible, continue in studying Scripture. And he's saying that against the backdrop. And just if, if you just rewind a few verses in 2 Timothy 3, verse 2, he says, People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, I'm guilty, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And, and this is what Paul is saying. Against that backdrop, Paul says, Timothy, continue in the Bible. Because where sin leads us is there. Sin leads us to be all those things that we don't want to be that's destroying and hurtful to our lives and to other people. See, sin leads us to be lovers of ourselves and lovers of money and lovers of pleasure instead of lovers of God. But the scriptures lead us to Jesus and to be like Jesus. You see, sin leads us not to Jesus. Sin doesn't lead us to the Bible You see, sin leads me and will lead you to self-sufficiency. Sin wants to take us away from God as far as possible. Sin wants you and I to believe that we have it all together. Sin wants us to believe that we don't need a Savior. Sin wants us to believe that we don't need another lamp or we don't need a light unto our path. Sin wants us to believe that we are in control of our lives. Sin wants us to believe that we know what's right and what's best for our lives, not God. See, sin drives us there, but the scriptures lead us to Jesus. So Paul says, continue, Timothy. And today I come and I say continue in the word. Continue in what God has given us. See, what we believe is important. See, what we believe and what we behold ultimately shapes who we become. You know, it affects everything. It affects every part of our lives. If you think about it, what you believe, what we behold, and, you know, as it affects who we become, it affects 
everything we do and, and what we do with our lives. It affects how we spend our years, how we spend our time. It affects what we do with our finances, our talents. It affects how we go to work and what we do with our work. It affects all of our efforts. It affects how we see the world. It affects how we see our neighbor. It affects uh, our family. It affects the kind of uh, husband or wife we'll become or the father and mother we'll become. It affects our relationship with uh, those around us. It affects everything. And so the word of God is that important. And so God uses his word to us to do his work in us. God uses his word to us to do his work in us because the Bible is not for God. The Bible is for us. You know, I might have shared this with you guys before, but I want to just think about that truth that when, when God had breathed out the scriptures, it wasn't for God to remember who he is, right? It was for us to remember who he is. You know, God doesn't have, you know, um, short-term memory. It's not like God is saying, hey, can you write these down? Can you, can you just, just in case I forget, can you write down who I love and what I'm about? And God has given us the scripture not for himself but for us so that we can know who he is and we can know what he's like and we can continue in it and continue to remember what a gift God has given us, right? And so <clears throat> Paul says to Timothy, continue in that because it leads us to Jesus and it makes us more like him. All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture, that includes lamentations, amen? That, that includes parts of the Bible that are hard to understand, hard to even accept. But all of scripture, you don't have to add to it, you don't have to revise it, you don't have to tweak it, right? All of it together. The whole counsel of the word of God from front to cover is sufficient and it's breathed out by God. That's what Paul says, breathed out. I know, man, what an imagery to think that, God, that God's word, this Bible that we have, is, is something that's breathed out by God. And then the, the breath, and I, and I realize that what he, Paul is just basically trying to say is that this word of God is breathed out by God, meaning that he, he wanted to validate this is God speaking. See, when I speak, that's my breath. When you speak, that's your breath. Not someone else's, but yours. And so when God speaks through his word, that's his breath. And with that, what Paul is trying to say, I think, is that the Bible is, is very personal. It's coming from the breath and the very heart and the mind and the will of God. But also think about how intimate breath is. And I might have shared with, with you before that, like, I'm, you know, I think breath um, is an intimate thing that you share with just those that are, are that close to you. Like, I'm not, uh, like, if you were to breathe on me, that'd be weird, right? And, and I, I'd probably distance myself from you, right? But when, when it comes to someone close and intimate, think about it in the context of a husband and wife, or I think about my son, Benjamin, when, when he was a, a, a less heavy, and he's like 45 pounds now, so I don't pick him up as much, but when he was less heavy, I used to pick him up all the time, and he would just sleep on my shoulder, and he'd just snore, and he'd just breathe on me. But I'm not trying to throw, you know, just throw him on uh, the couch or the bed. I, it's cute to me, right? There, there's, a, there's a joy of just my son, like just breathing, even though it's like nasty and heavy. It's, that's my son's breath, right? Like if you gave me your kid and he's like breathing on me, I'd be like, you're taken back. But that's my child. 
There's something intimate. There's something close about breath. I realize what Paul is saying is that when he's saying all of Scripture is breathed out by God, he's saying that God spoke it. And when God spoke, he's saying he's not just giving information, he's leading us to intimacy. Because breath is intimate. What What Paul is saying is, Timothy, this is not just information that's coming out. This is his breath. It's intimate. The Bible, friends, is meant to lead us not to information, but to intimacy with God himself. That's why we read the Bible. Not so that we can have head knowledge, but rather so we can be intimate with the one who spoke. Amen? So continue in the scripture that's breathed out by God. And then he says this, it's profitable. And, and, and then he goes on, he basically says these four things, which I'm going to get to, but he says, that, he says these four things will equip us for every good work. And, and Timothy is in pastoral ministry now in the city of Ephesus. Paul's not saying that he's trying to, that this Bible is going to give you strategies and skill sets for being a pastor. Rather, he's talking about the kind of Christian character, a maturity, a growth that leads to the continuation of gospel work. He's talking about a godly life, that this Bible leads us to a godly life so that we can be whole and complete and mature and not lacking anything. God's, what he's saying is that God, through his word, has given us everything we need for life. And not just for pastors, but for every believer here that Whatever circumstance or whatever season, the Bible doesn't say everything about everything, but the Bible does say something about everything. It's sufficient to equip you to live the life that God has called you to live. I'm going to quickly go over these four things that Paul says to Timothy. One is this that Paul says to Timothy that the word of God is profitable, it's beneficial, it's useful. He's saying it's good for you. He's saying, number one, because it can teach us, it, it teaches us. And that word didasko in the Greek means to instruct and to inform and to give direction. What, what basically Paul is saying is, Timothy, if you want to know God's will, you got to know God's word. You want to know God's will? You got to know God's word. Because in God's word, you're going to know God's will. In God's word, it's going to teach you. It's going to inform you. It's going to instruct you. It's going to give you direction. And, 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 and it's going to tell you how you ought to live. It's going to show you Jesus and the model we have for how we ought to live. And it's going to teach us what that life looks like. It's good for us. Paul says to Timothy a second thing. He says not only does it teach us, but it's profitable for reproof or the word rebuke. You know, maybe because I'm a, you know, come from like an immigrant family, when I think about rebuke, I think about like an angry father who's yelling, saying, don't do that, and, you know, and why, you know, kind of that, that kind of thing. But I realize that rebuke here in the Bible is never like, like, like you know, putting you down or condemning you. Rebuke is very gentle. It's corrective. And it brings us into the light. What it's talking about here is that the Bible is profitable for exposing any error or sin that we have that we probably couldn't see in our own. Like when someone is going the wrong way but they don't even know it, the Bible is profitable. It's useful for helping us to see there's going to be signs everywhere. Wrong direction turned the other way. That's good news. Right? And 
So this is what Paul is saying, that, that the word of God helps us to examine our hearts and to, it, it exposes, it brings to light things that are in the dark that we've never seen before. This is the example of, you know, you ever had that, you know, when you're like reading the Bible and certain words just jump out, just really speak to you, really tug at your heart. That's what it's doing. It's bringing reproof and, and bringing us back to God. Someone once said to me long ago, he said, James, don't just study the word, but to let the word study you. Don't just study the word, but let the word study you. I like that. That means that our goal is not to go deep in the word. Our goal is to let the word go deep in us. To let it examine our hearts and examine our thoughts and to expose any error, expose any darkness so that we have an opportunity to repent with joy and say, thank you, Jesus, for showing me the way. Number three is this, that it's profitable for correcting. And I thought, isn't that the same thing as reproof? Like, did, Tim, did Paul run out of words? And isn't, it, isn't correcting the same thing as rebuke or reproof? And I began to realize that that's not, what Paul is saying is a little bit different. The, the Greek word he uses is the, uh, uh, includes the word ortho. Ortho, to make straight or to align. And so if you ever go to an orthodontist, their goal is to straighten or align your teeth. When things are out of place, ortho brings it in place. It lines it together where they ought to be. Paul is saying that's what the Word of God does with our lives, right? You ever felt in your life or in your heart just things are just not in place? You ever been there? Right? Just, I just know just things are just not where they ought to be, whether it's like an issue with sin or an addiction or just circumstance or just you're, there's a tension in your heart and you want to do this, or, but, you, you know, uh, but you just can't seem to go that way and there's this tension and struggle and things are just out of place and just, you're just not living right. And what the Bible does is it actually starts to bring things back in and puts things in their place. It brings alignment, right? And if we're honest, I think... We need this probably every single day. I want you to think about your own life and what that might look like for you. Like, have you ever in your life just thought about, man, things that are just out of place? And maybe you've tried on your own to align it and put it back together, but just doesn't seem to work. Whether it's with God, just out of place. You ever been there? Or with other people, you ever been there? Just, ah, just things are just not as the way I want it to be. In relationships, you know, whether it's in singleness or marriage or parenting or with your parents, you know, with work or just our thoughts and our motives, you ever feel like things are just not in place? What the Word of God does is it brings it back in and starts to put it back in place. It's beautiful. Last thing is that Paul says is that it's profitable for training. Training here means discipline with the intent of forming proper habits of behavior. It's talking about someone who's upright, mature, godly, training that leads to changing. And I, and I thought, you know, uh, when I first read this, that word training, I thought of an athlete who goes into competition. I thought that's what it meant, that, it, that this is the kind of training Paul's talking about until I started to study this word training. And in the Greek, it actually doesn't mean training that athletes go to for competition because athletes have seasons and then they, they have, you know, on seasons and they have off seasons. But Paul's not talking about certain seasons of life. 
What Paul is talking about is a training in which you train a child from infancy to maturity. A training or, or raising up of a child from infancy to maturity. So here's what the difference is. Paul's not talking about the athlete and the intense training the athletes go to. Instead of intensity, Paul's talking about longevity. Paul's saying that the Word of God is for every stage of your life. Paul, I mean, Timothy, you've heard this word preached to you and spoken to you when you were young, but it's not just for one season or just from one life stage. The Word of God is sufficient for every part of life. It trains us longevity over the course of our lives. From one life stage to the next, the Word of God is sufficient to equip us to live the life that God has called us to live. So why do we study the Word? Why do we submit to the Word? Why do we stand on the Word? Because it's God's infallible, sufficient text for knowing Him and living a life as He would for His glory, but also for our good. Amen by myself. That's okay. I'm going to say that again. Because it is God's infallible, sufficient text for knowing Him and living as He would for His glory, but also for our good. God's Word is sufficient. It's sufficient. And that's why the psalmist says that the law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. It makes wise the simple or the foolish. It rejoices the heart. He says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey on my lips. The psalmist says it enlightens the eyes. It's a lamp unto his feet, a light unto his path. No wonder God told Joshua, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. No wonder Job said, I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured his words, the words of his mouth, more than my daily bread. No wonder the early church in the book of Acts were devoted to the apostles' teaching. No wonder Luke's gospel says, blessed are they who hear the word and obey it. No wonder Matthew's gospel says, everyone who hears the words of Jesus and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. No wonder John's gospel says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free no wonder in the book of James he says don't just listen to the word but do what it says and no wonder Jesus says man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God because his word is sufficient I want to close by um, teaching you guys a song. Maybe you guys already know it, but I just learned it uh, actually a few weeks ago through my own son. I didn't grow up in the church, and so a lot of these kids praise worship songs. Like, I'm learning now. Like, I'm learning even through my son, Benjamin. But I, I, I caught my son, Benjamin, at home a few weeks ago. He's, like, singing the song by himself, like, just, you know, praise and worship by himself. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't, like, why didn't you include me in this? And so I was just hearing him sing, but I'm like, man, this is a good song. And I asked him, what is he singing? And it's this song. I'm going to read it to you, just the lyrics here. It says, the B-I-B-L-E, that spells Bible, by the way, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Anybody know this song? The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. You want to sing with me? The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. 
the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. It's a good song, right? And as I heard that, I said, man, may that be true of me. And may that be true of you, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Would you pray with me?